Welcome back to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here. How is everyone doing out there? I'm so excited about today's journey. Um, I just want to remind everybody to please share. And if you have a like button on your particular podcast, remember to hit the like button because it will, I think, kind of notify you when some of them are aired. But if not, they're always aired on Tuesday. I do want everybody to know that after today's podcast, next Tuesday, I will be out of town and unable to uh, record that Tuesday. So it'll be two weeks before we will get together again. But stay tuned for my part of the story, and I'm looking forward to this journey with you. And welcome back to my part of the story. So today's journey is going to be a journey into a (laughs) charted territory of a discussion that's often brought up from those on the outside of the church. And what I want everyone to get from this, and I hope this is will eventually all tie together. I'm hoping that I can get it to tie together. But what I mean is, is say for instance, you have invited somebody to your church or they know where you went to church or asked you uh, where you attend church. And have you ever got the answer, well, I went to that church before, but I never felt welcome there. Now, I could almost promise you that at one point in time or another, you have heard that statement. This is not a one individual church situation. This is a statement that has been made over decades of all kinds of different churches that are out there. And the reason I say I want to tie it together because I'm aware as a believer that there are lost people out there or people that believe that they're saved that maybe are not really saved and they use it as an excuse not to attend the church or they'll say specific things to give you a reason why they just don't go to church and I know this because I was one of those people I did. I searched for excuses why I would not attend a church, and I would use them. And if someone left the door open for me to use them, as in maybe being a hypocrite, or um, I they act one way when they go to church, but I see them out in my neighborhood, and yeah, that totally different person. Or yes, I've went to the church one time before, but no one ever greeted me or shook my hand or made me feel welcome these excuses will be used but should they ever be out there to be used against us no if it had not happened I would not have had the excuse to use 
And I think it lies on both sides. Sometimes I believe the lost person will use it just because they want to have an excuse not to go. Because after all, when you go to church, you're there to fellowship with the Lord, to hear the Lord's word, to uh, honor and glorify the Lord and praise his name and learn from him. And the Lord has never done anything to us other than die on a cross for us. So as you can see, that kind of takes away the excuse because it's between you and Jesus, not you and every other person that enters the building or comes out of the building. Plus, you have to remember that even Paul said there'll be false teachers and false preachers. And um, you can see at an account where Jesus said, go away from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. But yet they claim to know Jesus. So we have to take that into consideration too, that there may very well be lost people in that church. And they're conducting themselves just like a lost person would. So that's what I mean about being fair about it. However, I also want to address the church, the body of true believers. We have to be careful about this situation. We should always be looking for those people that come in that are new. We should always greet them with love. You know, the Bible says that the greatest of all spiritual gifts is charity, love. And if we're not using the very number one spiritual gift that God gave us to use, why are we using any of the rest? Because we're just like a tinkling cymbal. Nobody wants to hear us. Nobody wants to know what we know until they know that we care. And this was eye-opening for me. I recalled these scriptures that I'm going to go over in this particular journey, and it came to my mind, and I had to think back, Mary, have you done that? Maybe you even did it not aware that somebody new was there, but are you looking? Are you looking to see if someone new walked in to your body of fellowship? Are you trying to show them the love of Christ? You know, oftentimes Jesus would say, well, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the sick. And oftentimes you would see Jesus walking and talking with people that the religious leaders would say, why are you with them? Why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you hanging out with tax collectors? Jesus, he answered it pretty clear in the scriptures as to why he was doing it. So we'd have to ask ourselves, are we? You know, when I translated in an elementary school, I worked in elementary school for 10 years. I noticed that even as early as kindergarten, you would see children playing with children that were pretty much in their circle. Like the bookworms hung out with the bookworms. And the jocks, the little boys that could play good in gym, hang out with the little boys that could play good in gym. The girls that was really dressy all the time hung out with the dressy girls. And uh, it was interesting to see how they would just kind of get in their little groups automatically, and they're only in kindergarten, so how do they know? But they did it. 
And I think that was something that we did experience as we was going through school, which is okay. It's okay to be with people that you relate to the best or understand the best or understand you the best. Where it crosses the line in Christ's eyes and in God's eyes is when there's a particular group of people you steer clear of because of a certain situation. Could be money. Could be status. Could be the way they dress. It could be that some people just don't think they're cool, so I'm going to hang out with the cool kids. Well, we're a little grown for that just to hang out with the cool kids or just the kids that know me. See, Jesus, he spoke on this through James in the book of James. And I remind myself to look for those that need us, to love those that come into the congregation to feel love because that is the greatest of all spiritual gifts. So as we journey into the scriptures in the book of James, my heart's desire would be that we would examine our own heart and mind, each one of us that hears this podcast and mine as well with this episode, I just re-studying for it has reminded, I've reminded myself to be aware of how I handle people in these situations, especially in the house of God, because it is his house, not our house. It is where he is drawing people together for a particular reason, and that we need to keep in mind all of those that cross our paths. Because even though we will not give an account for our sin, we will give an account for what we do as believers. And this would be a very sad subject if Christ would bring it back up to us to show us the times that we may have snubbed certain people in the church or felt that they were beneath us. So as we go into the scripture, let's go in with our minds and our hearts open, not offended by what we know we're getting ready to learn, but wanting the Lord to feed our hearts and minds so that we would certainly not sin against him. So stick with me and I'll see you in his part of the story. Welcome back to his part of the story. So, have you already been thinking in your mind? Have I done that? Have I been that person? Has that actually happened to me? I would guess that we would all answer that yes on both parts. So, here's a little fun fact. Before we get into the book of James, you know, we were... In the book of James on a couple of episodes when uh, we just got finished talking about trials and how trials work to patience and perseverance and um, 
James is a wonderful book, but here's just a couple little fun facts. James, the actual author of the book of James, he was considered or called James the Just. Hmm, it's interesting that he was nicknamed James the Just. And he actually was the brother of Jesus. Now, you know, some people wonder if it was actually the brother of Jesus because he did not mention himself as being the brother of Jesus in his book. But after quite a bit of investigation, the majority do believe that this is actual Jesus's brother, James, and considered James the just. And he was actually the leader of the Jerusalem church. So now we get just a little bit of background. We know that the Holy Spirit of God is the one that inspires these men to write when they do. And usually they are addressing issues or instructions that they need to give to the church that the Holy Spirit wants them to give to the church. So here we are again in the book of James. But this time... We are going to address the issue which we just spoke of in my part of the story. And that is a question you will have to ask yourself. Do you show partiality? Are you partial to one group or the other in a congregation of God's people? Or are you partial to those that you're used to just being with And you pay no mind to any of the new people that may actually come in. That is something you have to search your own heart about. I know that I have to mine. But as I start to read these scriptures, I just want you to know that in the heading of the very beginning of chapter 2 in the book of James, it does say the sin of partiality. So we know that there can be a sin of partiality. So it's something that we really need to take heed about and learn about. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 1, down to verse 9. So let's break this down together. If you've never read this scripture before, hold on because this is very clear instructions from our Lord and Savior through James. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Okay, that was just verse 1. And like I said before, we could almost stop right there because that's very clear instruction. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Verse 2. Now he gives us an example in case we're confused about what partiality looks like. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, 
And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and became judges with evil thoughts? That stings. Because he not only gave us very clear example of what it looks like, but then he adds the clarity. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and became judges with evil thoughts? He very clearly says these thoughts are evil. That's why it's called the sin of partiality. It goes on in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy in the honorable name and by which you are called? So he's reminding them here that a lot of the elite religious leaders and the rich in those time were the ones that oppressed God's people. Made them feel like they meant nothing or was worth nothing. He says, Are they not ones who blaspheme the honorable name in which you are called? Verse 8. If you really fulfill the law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by the law or convicted by the law as transgressors. Now we also know that the law only convicts those that have no grace. Because if you think you can follow one part of the law and you do not obey another part, then you're guilty of all of it. So it also implies that true believers should not, and he believes would not, with the Holy Spirit of God in their heart, take part in this activity. I think that these scriptures is very, very clear about how we should conduct ourselves inside the house of God. Oftentimes we get so caught up in ourselves and it's about I and I that, you know, often pastors will say, well, you know where you can find I, don't you? Right in the middle of the word sin. Because the house belongs to the Father. Which is exactly what Jesus said when he flipped the tables over 
with the money exchangers, remember? Why have you turned my father's house into a den of thieves? Is it not said that this shall be a house of worship? Well, is it not said in the book of James that you should show no partiality to the people that gather in God's house? And as believers, we should never want to do something that would sadden the heart of God or would even shine a light on ourselves as to being uh, in a negative outlook because Jesus would not have that. He, he doesn't have a negative outlook. He has a positive one. He embraces. He, he loved those that were around him. And if he was speaking harshly at any time, he was speaking it to those people that believed themselves to be at a hierarchy or a higher position than those that Christ was around. So we can see that God does give us clear instructions in the book of James as to how to conduct ourselves and what not to do. Stick with me and we'll expand just a little bit more as we finish up in our part of the journey. our part of the journey. Well, as we're starting to wrap up this particular journey and episode, I know that if you feel like I do, it stings some to hear that. Um, I always think to myself that I may not mean to do that, or have I done that? But if the Lord has brought your attention to a particular scripture or subject, then more than likely he's working on you in that area. And if you used to, and you ask Christ to forgive you of that sin of partiality, know it is forgiven and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you uh, continue your ministry to remember we are supposed to be Christ followers, Christ mimickers. That's the part where we are dead to ourselves, but yet we live through Christ because we are his temple. And he wants his temple to be as pure as he wanted the temple to be when he cast out the money changers. So... Holy Spirit of God has to convict particular sin in our lives for us to be aware of it and for us to make a conscious decision that we truly want the Holy Spirit to help us overcome that sin because our Savior is much more important than the particular sin that we're hanging on to and that could be a number of sins. So, you know, One of the things I wanted to bring a little attention to as well is, do you remember when Jesus was uh, ministering in his own hometown? Many did not believe him, including 
his family and his brothers. But yet we see now that James is considered James the just. And James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is instructing on a particular strong subject. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit of God, once he's gotten hold of you, how you can completely change from one degree to the other. We call that repentance. Once you're aware that there's a sin in your life, and you know it's not God-honoring, you only have but a couple choices. To acknowledge it, ask God to forgive you from it, and repent, which means turn from your way of thinking about it to God's way of thinking about it. And then ask the Holy Spirit to keep you on target because you're going to need His Holy Spirit to fight off your sin nature of wanting to do so. So did you find yourself as you were listening? Was the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind times that maybe you were walking up to sit down in church and there was only chairs beside a certain group of people and yet you chose to make sure you walked all the way to the other side of the sanctuary to avoid them? Were you one of the people that are like, I just don't know. I don't particularly care for that group of people in here and so I'll avoid them by hanging with my own group of people. I pray that we recognize it for what God calls it and not what we want to believe that we're doing because we can often explain away our behavior just like I could explain away why I didn't go into a church and I use those people and their sin and some of their hypocrisy to hide behind them when it comes to Jesus Christ there's no way out for any of us because he addresses all of us including me when I was a lost person I knew that I could not use them as an excuse yet I did But Christ knows this too. He says, do you know, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Let people know you as who you truly are and what you represent. And he also says, allow no man to be able to put a charge against you. So could somebody put that charge against you? Could they say, well, I go in there, but I notice that this group always just stays with this and, and I feel left out. I don't really have a group or... I don't feel like I'm as good as them. Can that charge be put against you? I hope not, considering we represent Jesus Christ. I also want to say that, do you know that in the book of James, verses 1 through 9 was what we read, but it falls in line with when you go on down to verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So why do you think he put those together just so many verses down? 
He's trying to explain to you that this group of people need to see something different than what they're seeing out in the world. And your faith is nothing unless you can act doing it. If you could act against your normal nature to do what our sin nature thinks that we've always done or should do, we need to act on our faith. <clears throat> and right before we wrap it up, I do want to read, you know, I always like to read a little bit of the commentary. And here it says, the sin of partiality. The problem of the poor and the rich already emphasized in actually chapter 1, 9 through 11 and verse 27, now comes to center stage. With this warning about discriminating against the poor in favor of the wealthy in the Christian assembly. 1 through 7, preferring the wealthy over the poor in the assembly, James shows the fundamental incapability of holding faith in Christ and showing partiality among people. It doesn't match. It doesn't go together. If you're doing that, ask yourself, why? Am I living so much in my sin nature or do I even have the Holy Spirit in my heart to convict me of that? Partiality as you hold the faith. There is no place for prejudice in the life of faith. Partiality combines a group of terms signifying to accept, judge, according to faith, and refers to favoritism shown on the basis of status in society. Jesus, according to James, is the exalted and glorious Lord in Christ and is always to be thought of as such. So if anybody had the right to place himself in a hierarchy, it most certainly would be our Lord and Savior. Consider he stepped out of the portholes of heaven to come here and to take on a sin-natured body of human form. Of course, he had no sin, Whatsoever, Let me not confuse that. He came to live amongst the sin-natured people as we carried sin in our heart. And he came in a human body form, which honestly would be beneath him. If anybody had the right to look at themselves as a hierarchy, it most certainly would be God the Son. The assembly probably refers to a Christian house, church. Here, two types of people arrive. One kind, a gold ring and fine clothing, and the other with shabby clothing. The wealthy person is told to sit here in a good place, a place of honor, perhaps in the front, while the poor person is shown contempt and told either to stand, probably in the back, or sit down at my feet like a servant. Those who make such distinctions show themselves to be judges with evil thoughts. Christians are not to judge each other. And to do so, you can only, can only mean one's mind is consumed with evil thoughts. 
which also means that you just don't sit with them when you're eating. What if we have a fellowship dinner? Are you sitting only with those you always sit with? Are you sitting with those that you feel more comfortable with at an eating? Are you making those others feel left out? Are you entertaining evil thoughts? Two, five, chosen to be rich in faith. Using the language of election, James declares that the poor have a special place in God's economy of salvation. They are rich in an eternal sense because they are heirs of the kingdom. In spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. Oh, those who oppress you. This oppression or exploitation reflects a situation of radical social polarization in the first century with merchants and landowners taking land and possessions from the poor. James challenges his Christian leaders as to why they would honor the rich in the assembly when it is the rich unbelievers of the world who blasphemy the name of Christ and drag them into court, as frequently recorded in the Old Testament. The wealthy often used the court system to steal from the poor. This situation was the primary reason for the revolts in Galilee that led to the war of A.D. 66 through 70. Partiality is the antithesis of the love command. Favoritism toward the rich breaks the Old Testament commands to treat the poor equally and is a serious transgression of God's law. Now, why would this be a serious transgression of his law? Because he said, I give you three new commandments. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Where did you put yourself? Were you at the table with the rich? Or were you sitting amongst the poor? And you know what? It's okay to do either. Just make sure your heart knows why. And that you would take that time out. Whether, no matter what table you would be sitting at or what person that you would be sitting beside of, that you consider them the way God considers them. Because one, they are all his creation. And if they sit amongst the people of God, there's a very good possibility they are his child. And God the Father may just take offense to how you may treat his child. And you are breaking that second commandment that Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And we know we can love ourselves pretty good. Well, I hope you've learned as much as I have learned from this. And I hope we keep it in our minds and our hearts the next time we walk into the assembly of God 
in the next time we see those who walk in that have never been there before. Do your part. Use that spiritual gift that God gave you first and foremost, which is love. Love them as Christ loved you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for once again another journey that you have sent us on, a journey of knowledge that that your Holy Spirit wants us to know and wants us to act on. Lord, please forgive me if I've ever showed the sin of partiality. Lord, be with those listeners out there. Uh, Help them to grow in this area that ultimately the very top spiritual gift that you have given us, the gift of charity, would be used first and foremost over any of the other spiritual gifts that you've given us. Let your church be that light. Let us be different from what we were used to. Let us be different from the world. Let us show the love that Christ showed us on Calvary. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us, but mostly for that sacrifice on Calvary. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me. And remember, I will see you, or I will be in with you in two weeks. Next Tuesday, I will be out of town. So please don't forget that. And yes, I will see you in two weeks. Thanks for showing up to enjoy this journey with me. And we'll see you in two.